Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey everyone, I'm doing something a little different today, actually very different. (laughs) Today I have with me a client and this is not something that I normally do. I don't um, tell a lot of client stories uh, on the podcast, as you know, but this was a story that this client, uh, we're calling her L for um, the purposes of this episode. She posted about it in the large Facebook group. Um, she is a longtime member of the Should I Stay or Should I Go Facebook group. She did my program a couple of years ago, and she had posted about some of the trials and tribulations of this particular aspect of uh, it was a something that came up after her divorce. And then when she got the ruling that she got from the judge on it, she said she really wanted to go public and she wasn't really sure how to do that. And I, and she posted that in the Facebook group. And I said, you know what, this is a story I would love to tell on the podcast. Um, and so here she is. And uh, she is here with her attorney telling this story because I think it's really important. So L is not only um, a divorced mom, a longtime member of my Should I Stay or Should I Go Facebook group, someone who's gone through my program. She's also a successful career executive. She's the mom to a seven-year-old daughter, and she is an advocate for sexual freedom, having been a member of her local BDSM and kink communities for over two years. Uh, I think this story is really fascinating. It's really interesting. And I think there is, you know, while it didn't necessarily set legal precedent, as um, we will talk about in the episode, there are ways that this might be, uh, that you might be able to use this in your case. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Elle and her attorney, Jonathan. Elle and Jonathan, thank you so much for uh, joining me. This is very unusual. I don't usually have client or follower stories uh, on my podcast, but I think this is such an important one and so interesting. I really felt it was important to share and also to have to get your story out. I mean, this was the big question, right? Was how do I share my story? So to get others to understand what happened to me. And I was like, let's do it on the podcast. So thank you for being willing. Thank you so much, Kate. Thank you. So why don't we just start Elle, with you telling us a little bit about, you know, I separated from my ex-husband in, I guess it was around the summer of 2020 and our divorce was finalized that following summer. So 2021. And in our, in our divorce, you know, agreement, we had settled everything obviously that needed to come up, including uh, custody of our seven-year-old. 
um, who's currently seven. <laughs> and, you know, we have 50-50 custody. Um, and that was going really well. It had been going very well since we separated. In sort of, I would say, maybe the spring of 21, I had been kind of on my own for a few months at that point and was kind of ready to start dipping my toes back into the the dating world and, you know, having come out of this marriage where a lot of the time I was feeling low self-esteem, not confident, you know, not sexy, all those things that happen, I think, a lot of times at the end of marriages. And I was ready to kind of explore that again and get back in touch with that part of myself, you know, got involved with some communities here locally, you know, some sexual communities that are around kink and things like that, and was exploring my own interests and doing some online, you know, adult activities that were consensual and and all of that. And Mm -hmm. Long story short, fast forward to the end of 2021, our divorce has been final. We've been doing, you know, custody 50-50 for several months. It's been going great. My ex-husband stumbles across some of these profiles that I had online that were, you know, adult adult content and basically flips out um, immediately kind of knee-jerk reaction files for primary custody of our daughter and files for a modification of the, you know, divorce um, agreement. And yeah, that started this this whole process for for me. It's been a long time coming. We just got our decision in May of this year. So that was all the way back December 2021 to now. So that was kind of the the background. And so his allegations, what was he alleging that your online presence or your sexual explorations made you an unfit mother? Is that essentially what he was alleging? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, again, you know, Jonathan can jump in and kind of clarify anything here. But I think like the 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 crux of his arguments were that my activities were somehow putting my daughter in harm's way, either by, you know, again, his, his assumption that, you know, that I don't know these partners or that that they that their sexual interests make them unsafe in some way. If they are involved in, let's say, the BDSM or kink community, therefore, they must be a like pedophiles or unsafe people and that they're strangers and they're coming over to your house at all hours of the night. Right. All sorts of like grand assumptions. Right. I mean, even though I was very clear that none of that is happening on my parenting time, obviously, Um it still didn't really matter in terms of his argument. I don't think it was matter of, oh, these partners know where you live. And then there was all kinds of just, you know, ridiculous other arguments in terms of COVID exposure, my daughter's health status, and just, you know, uh, things that really made no sense, you know, to me that were just kind of, you know, pulling at whatever he could. But yeah, that was the basis of his of his arguments and allegations that I was somehow unfit for for doing that. Jonathan, is there anything you want to add to what these allegations were from a legal standpoint? What his what he considered his legal standing to be, or what his attorneys had uh, stated his legal standings to be? Um, when you're looking at a custody modification, uh, you're looking at um, the best interest of the child, but before that. In most states, you have to establish that there has been a substantial change in circumstances since uh, since the custody order was entered into. It's assumed that at that point, that was the right thing. And so then you have a burden 
to uh, there's an assumption that usually continuing what was found to be the right thing at the start is what would be the right mm -hmm. thing now for a court to even consider opening that back up you have to convince the court that there was a substantial change in circumstances when you have a trial you're at the same time both arguing about whether there was a substantial change in circumstances and if there's been a substantial change in circumstances then in the current point what's in the best interest of the mm -hmm. child right and then the court would weigh many different factors from a legal perspective he really ran into the fundamental problem that there was no substantial change in circumstances. There was no change in the child's circumstances. This had nothing to do with the child. This had no impact on the child at all. And so, but he was claiming that it did, that somehow, somehow Elle's daughter was now in danger from all these unsavories sort of coming into her life. And I think there was this point too that he was claiming, you know, that he had not been aware at the time of the uh, original agreement that, you know, that I was participating in some of these things. But either way, the fact that there was no material change in circumstances didn't change the fact that all of my activities were out and, you know, and exposed and talked about and and argued and litigated. So, right. So your privacy. So in mm -hmm. the midst of all of this, your privacy was violated is now a matter of public record mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so it's interesting mm -hmm. um how did he happen to stumble upon your profiles <laughs> out of curiosity that was such an interesting point and you know yeah so he is a user of these sites from what i understand you know and i think this came up really clearly in court you know he was just browsing you know one of these sites and sort of happened across my content and that sort of led him down the rabbit hole of, of finding everything else. But yeah, I mean, the the hypocrisy of that is sort of mind blowing. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty hilarious. Okay. And yeah. so, and so uh, did you attempt to mediate this or was this immediately you had to go in front of a judge? I wanted to discuss it from the beginning. And of course, you know, if, if you just take me, take it back to that moment where I get this text message from him that says, I know what you're doing online. I have already contacted my attorney. I'm filing for custody. Our daughter is not safe with you. And I intend to, you know, to get full primary custody. He was not willing to discuss it at all. And and even though on one level, I knew how absurd it was, as a mother, I'm sure you can relate to this. There's still that like rush of panic yeah, yep. that's like, Absolutely. I, I will do anything. At that moment, it was a feeling of what can I do to just make this go away? And there was certainly a temptation to just pull it all down, you know, beg him not to file, tell him I'm not doing it anymore. You know, you just have those temptations. And it really took time talking with, you know, my turn with Jonathan, my attorney, and just kind of recentering and, and making sure and validating that I was doing nothing wrong, you know, and Anyway, yeah. So so I I wanted, you know, I would have been open to that conversation. He was not. And I think even up until, you know, very shortly before we went to court, you know, me even asking Jonathan, is this worth another shot? It's just like, is there any kind of agreement we can come to? And they had one last kind of final quote unquote settlement offer or whatever, which was, you know, an apology to my ex-husband. Oh my. I, 
I think there were potentially some, some measures they wanted me to take, like changing my locks or something. It was just a a ridiculous. Oh, and, and then of course paying, you know, paying for his court attorney costs. I mean, it was just this outrageous offer that, uh, you know, was really just laughable and that was the best they could do. Deeply offensive that you would have to apologize to your ex-husband right. for the sexual activities you're engaging in at post-divorce. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah, Jonathan, it looks like you want to chime in here. Yeah, so I'm looking back at uh, the first correspondence, uh, which is what Elle had received uh-huh. when she reached out to me from the husband's ex-husband's lawyer to uh, L's then current mm-hmm. lawyer, we've got this big concern. And so basically, it's a letter, it's like 700, 800 words. And it's a here, basically, here are our demands. <laughs> wow. This is sent December 9th, 2021. And it's like, these things should be done by December 16th. So the first one was she should take down whatever she has online that is you know, publicly available and is sexually explicit. Second, uh, that she should refrain from bringing people who are essentially strangers into her home for intercourse. It's just the whole thing. It's just so so offensive, just getting into her questioning her judgment mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and making her like restrict herself more in in ways that she wouldn't, as if she's not a very capable adult, a very responsible adult who is conscious about the risks that she takes as certainly any woman in our society is. It's sort of presupposing that women don't understand the danger that they're in every single day as they walk down Mm -hmm. the street, let alone enter into sexual intercourse or whatever, you know. Uh, Yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And then, so then the, the third point was something that is, that it was actually quite reasonable but also ironic. They wanted uh, an agreement that the child would not be introduced to any romantic interests until they've been together for at least six Mm. months. And that is a standard practice. The ironic thing is that Elle was doing this, following this, and her ex-husband was not. (laughs) He He had introduced our daughter to at least two romantic partners in the, you know, in the year that all of this was happening. Right. You know, right. meanwhile, mm-hmm. I, you know, she had never met anyone I was involved with sexually romantic or otherwise since, you know, right. had since the divorce. So yeah. yeah, the, the irony, the hypocrisy through and through it was everywhere. And then uh, the fourth and final thing was uh, requesting that she take various security measures in her apartment, uh, like installing surveillance cameras <laughs> and a deadbolt lock. Again, again, is going to this idea that she is not aware of risks to her safety and and having good judgment about what she needs to keep herself and her daughter safe. Right. Jonathan, you were not Al's attorney at this time. Correct. And I think this speaks to something that's really important that I talk about all the time, which is making sure you have an attorney who actually specializes in the things that you need covered. And so, Elle, how did you come to find Jonathan? Like what, like you brought this, clearly this was sent to your original attorney. 
Mm-hmm. And so that represented what, me in the divorce. Yeah. Yeah. And so what happened then? Yeah. I mean, and, 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 and she was great and I would have, you know, felt, felt great with her representing me, but yeah, I mm-hmm. just felt as this ramped up, as I could feel the emotional intensity from his side, I, it just felt really important that I have someone, yeah, that had some experience with these types of cases. I needed to feel really secure. I knew it was going to come down to these issues around, you know, about around women and their judgment and their, and their level of risk. And, and I knew it was really all about shame and control to begin with. Right. But anyway, Mm -hmm. um, I had reached out to the National Coalition for Sexual Freedom, which is an organization I didn't even know existed before this, but just doing some kind of Google research about cases like this came across that organization and they pointed me towards their resource library where they have all kinds of professionals that have opted to be in this directory that have, you know, either poly specialties, you know, with poly families or you know, again, kink and and BDSM friendly um, professionals. And they actually had named Jonathan, you know, by name and gave given me that suggestion. So yeah, immediately reached out to him. And that's sort of how we we got connected. That's so great. So there's the National Organization for Sexual Freedom. Is that what it's called? National Coalition, I think, for Sexual Freedom. Is that right, Jonathan? Yes. NCSA. And so... Jonathan, when Elle brought you, contacted you and brought you this case, what were your initial thoughts and feelings about it? My first reaction was, this is just kind of ridiculous. Let's just point out to this lawyer how there's nothing here that is the husband's business. There's no way that they could succeed on this in court. Within a week, we'd uh, prepared a letter in response, rather incredulous about about their attitudes, because the logic just was never there, and that was that was clear from the beginning. I mean, the logic—it's like it's not there, but yet, you know, we given the culture that we live in, it's actually. Uh, it's everywhere, right? Control yeah. of women's bodies. This is in a post row. Is this, was this before uh, or after Roe was yeah. overturned? It's before. Yeah. Before Roe was overturned. Ah, right. Okay. But like, you know, it was certainly on the chopping block, right? We knew that we basically have known that women's sexual freedoms and liberation are in danger uh, just from living in the in the in the society that we do, right? So, did that sort of play into? Was there any concern, Jonathan, from legal perspective? Like, sure, this is ridiculous, but also like, mm, well, given what we're up against culturally, maybe not. There's always some uncertainty. Judges have enormous discretion, and even, I mean, compared to the discretion that judges have. In many other types of cases, uh, in like a criminal yeah. case or something, or in just a lawsuit over money, the discretion that judges have in a custody case is just so yeah. vast. It is almost impossible to have a successful appeal mm. uh, of a of a custody decision. Uh, I um, I work in Maryland and in Washington D.C. 
And in Washington, D.C., I happened to have uh, a successful appeal of, of, of a minor provision of a custody order. And that was one of, I think, two cases that year that had a successful appeal out of thousands of custody and divorce cases uh, in D.C. And that's and that's right. typical. There's just so much in terms of the discretion of the mm-hmm. judge. Being in a more liberal mm-hmm. area, to be in a a large city in the Northeast or on the West yeah. Coast, is going to be very different than being in a small town in the South. Very, right? If I practiced in small town Texas, <laughs> uh, we would have been having very different conversations. I could feel significantly more confident and comfortable because of knowing you know where this court is and the kinds of judges in the court and their general attitudes probably my no- most notable case before this one uh, is a woman who uh, in 2019 uh, her her then husband who she was separated from and her ex-husband received from a former friend, uh, some links to this woman's having done uh, some online sex work. And there were some sample videos and so forth. They obtained this information and then in a coordinated way went to the court and asked for emergency custody of their uh, of their children for the mother to have no contact. And they got it. They, they went ex parte? There was a hearing that she was at. Mm-hmm. She had a lawyer there who was who was not prepared for it. And there were actually there were two judges. It's a little complicated, but basically there was an old judge who uh, an old white man who <laughs> mm-hmm. clearly Say had no very traditional ideas. Yeah. And and seemed to have the idea that if a woman had nude pictures, that it suggested that she was an unfit mother. But it was like the first thing out of the judge's mouth was, are these pictures of your client? Tell me why you think she's entitled to have custody of her children. Right. Wow. So this is wow. this is crazy. Then I get contacted by this client on Sunday. I think, I think this probably happened Thursday, Friday, and then took her a couple of days to find me. Yeah. Uh, I hear from her on Sunday. We get to work. By Friday night, I have uh, her three kids all back with her. Uh, we filed uh, emergency motions uh, with with the court saying that there was there was no emergency that would have justified having the emergency hearing to begin with. And just the whole thing was totally re- absurd mm-hmm. and outrageous. And uh, and we had. The dads had also contacted Child Protective Services, uh, and that we were able to have the person come from Child Protective Services and testify that there's nothing wrong in mom's house. Mom seems like a good parent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah. these uh, two things are not related, right? Yeah, uh, we got those orders overturned and got temporary orders in place. Now, I think one thing that that is important 
uh, to keep in mind is that like in like in L's case, just because you you win around doesn't mean that that things are over uh, right. with uh, with that client. Uh, I mentioned that she was separated at the time, had a pending divorce. She hired me in September of 2019. And so then we were scheduled for a trial in probably March of 2020. Mm. As you can imagine, that was postponed yeah. <laughs> uh, to wah, wah. Uh, June, June of 2020. Mm-hmm. And then that was postponed until... April of 2021. Mm-hmm. And then we had a four day trial. And we won. We won big. My client got primary custody on a permanent basis of, uh, of the children. Mm. And then her ex-husband decided to appeal. Right. And uh, and of course, it is very difficult to win an appeal. And they're in divorce it's more possible because you you bring in the financial issues, but it's still really hard. Uh, mm-hmm. And they had no good grounds for an appeal. They essentially said the judge believed her and didn't believe him and his witnesses. And the judge should have believed me. And that is not one of the things that an appeal is for. Uh, there's There's no way for a judge to be making those judgments based on, you know, papers, transcripts. It's understood that a trial court judge is the person who's there and is making that judgment of who's to be believed. Uh, and, and that was pretty clear uh, to the judge in our case. And so mm-hmm. we won that appeal. Three, four months later, he filed a motion to modify custody. And we're now uh, dealing with, we we're able to drag it out some, but we're now dealing with probably having to have another custody trial in about yeah. a year from now. Wow. Uh, so that would be from yeah. the time that I started working with this client, that'd be five years. Right. In which and he- she's been continually dealing with her ex-husband. And it's so it's very common, right, with personalities like this. This could go on for, you know, till the kids are yeah. 18. Right. Yeah. They they become, you know, very vexatious. You know, they'll they'll do anything to file another motion, file another motion, file another motion to keep yeah. it in court. Yeah. Um, as much as yeah. possible. Right. Yeah. I had a I had a friend, you know, say to me too, just talking about the discretion that the judge has, you know, from my perspective, just remember thinking all it all it takes is just one person to agree with him, right? As as absurd as his logic is. That's right. All it takes is one person to believe it. And, and then my friend kind of put it in some clarity too. There's also this like sex panic around children, you know, nowadays in the news, it's like you, you throw out that the kids are in the mix and people are all of a sudden just losing their minds. That's right. Cause now, cause now, right. It's, it's so, it's fascinating to me, right? So a woman is sexually liberated and she's exploring her sexuality and all of this stuff. And then she's bringing the child traffickers into her home, right? <laughs> I mean, that's basically what they're <laughs> yeah. saying. But yet men, yeah, very often, overwhelmingly, are watching porn like right. a bazillion hours right. a day, right? But they're I mean, fine. They're totally We could fine. go, you know, we could spend hours talking about 
whether or not this content would exist or there would be a, a market for it were it not for the the male gaze, right? I mean, so that's a, that's a whole other. Well, I mean, I th- but I do think it's important, yeah. right? Because that is the hypocrisy. Right. The hypocrisy that your ex-husband was actually consuming the content and then bringing this case against you for actually being on it when like, that's how he fucking found it. Right. Are you kidding me? And, but, and as Jonathan said, um, as we said, this is up to the discretion of a judge and you are rolling the dice. This is a huge gamble about, you know, I mean, of course you're going to, it's not even a question about whether you're going to go in front of the judge, but as soon as you do, you're, you're basically, the risk is so high, particularly for women, because women are believed less about their um, allegations of abuse. They, that as soon as women allege abuse, they're actually believed less in court. If they allege child abuse, they're believed less than that. If they allege child sexual abuse, they're believed even less. If they accuse an ex of abuse and then the ex turns around and accuses the woman of parental alienation when what she's trying to do is protect her children, she loses them. She has a higher chance of actually losing custody of her children. So these are all things that have been studied. And, you know, the family court system judges um, has not caught up to the research or taken it into consideration and actually made systemic changes. So we are still at the discretion of people who don't have training in most of this and who are not, you know, who are overwhelmingly old white dudes (laughs) (laughs) with conservative values, right? right? So as Jonathan said, you know, like just the fact that you're in this metropolitan liberal area was, was luck. And now for a quick word from our sponsor, the all new fully revised, should I stay or should I go? After three years of this program existing in the world and changing women's lives, I decided to give it a full makeover. The all new version has all new videos, a podcast like audio stream if you want to take the work on the go and completely updated resources for deepening your learning. The program consists of six core modules. The first of which is, who are you? This is the section in which you dig deeply into your own personal development and get in touch with your inner guide, slay your inner critics, mine for values, and learn how to set healthy boundaries. The second module is how you learn to love and helps you understand your attachment style, love languages, and how to properly love and care for the most important person in all of this, yourself. Module three is called, Why Are Women So Exhausted? And breaks down some of the issues around toxic masculinity and male entitlement, the myth of being a stay-at-home mom, and answers the question, he's fine. Why can't I just be happy? Module four is all about understanding abuse and includes videos on trauma bonds, understanding the cycles of abuse, particularly how they play out in your own relationship, and addresses addiction, infidelity, and mental illness. 
Module 5 is all about healing and moving forward and includes videos about therapy, couples therapy, healing from betrayal, emotional regulation, and grief. This section also includes my 90-minute workshop, Tackling Codependence, as well as my signature relationship inventory that will help you gain complete clarity on all the parts of your marriage and figure out what's his and what's yours. And Module 6 answers the question, is the grass really greener on the other side? With in-depth videos on dating, cultural and religious isolation, and what happens if you end up alone forever? Spoiler, you probably won't. Whether you decide to stay or go, this program will set you up for a lifetime of clarity and fulfillment. And if you've already decided to go, the program will help you unpack all that's happened and help you heal so that you can move forward without repeating the same mistakes that got you here in the first place. This program is priced super low at just $697. And if you use the code PODCAST, when you check out, you'll get $50 off the full price. What are you waiting for? You have been agonizing with this decision for long enough. It's time to finally know, should you stay or should you go? And now back to our episode. So what happened when you got to court? Oh, I mean, it was a long day. And I think, you know, it was just a lot of of the same things that I had already heard and was kind of prepared to hear in terms of, you know, the accusations he was making. You know, the the best part of that day was, you know, my chance to speak on my own behalf and say some of the things that I, you know, wanted to call out. You know, some of those things being, you know, you know, the absurdity of, you know, my ju- judgment being called into question, sort of the, you know, the, the fact that I felt and still feel that in many ways, you know, for me to find partners in these communities that I'm connected with and have friends in those communities and and also you know, in, in kink and BDSM, there's this, there's this whole um, philosophy of like negotiation and shared expectations and value. Like you have those conversations about boundaries before you're even, you know, engaging in person. And, and, and in, in many ways it makes that safer than traditional dating, meeting someone on a dating app or on the street. I mean, you know, if someone's a creep, they're going to be a creep no matter how you meet them. But in general, our community does a really good job of kind of weeding out those folks that don't honor those those consent and 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 safety boundaries because it's so important to to the communities. So I was a, you know I was able mm-hmm. to talk that through. I was able to say how important it is to me to be able to raise a child that is pushing back on what society tells her she should be as a girl and as a you know growing up into a woman in this world. And that I feel like the best way for me to teach her that is to model that in my own life and push back against just frankly, the misogyny that was sitting in that room in the form of her very own father, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) Did you say that? I don't think I said it in those, you know, and she'll, she'll understand (laughs) that as she grows, I'm sure, but you know, yeah, sure, um, sure. So it was a really right. good opportunity, I think, for sure. me to kind of, you know, at, you know, obviously with Jonathan's help crafting those those words, but you know, advocating for for my community and my my rights and and so the mm-hmm. judge when you walked in, it was a it was a female judge, yes, yes? yeah. 
And so when you walked in and saw a woman, what were your well, first and thoughts? We had had sort of some pretrial hearings before. So I knew, I knew who the judge was going to be and I knew it was a woman and she had even, I think in some of the, in one of the pre pre whatever the, the hearing, the scheduling conferences um, had, had said to him, you know, kind of called it out that you're in a progressive city and Jonathan, maybe you recall this, but I, I think she said something like she even said that before same-sex marriage was legal, same-sex couples used to come to Baltimore to have their cases litigated um, because of the progressive nature of the city. And she was sort of sending him this message, like, do you know kind of what you're up against here? And I, so I felt more confident having heard that. That's great. But again, yeah. you know, you still, you good. still have the doubts, uh-huh. but yeah, so I, I felt good about having a woman you know, there were, there were moments during that day that I, that I had those doubts about is, is this going to go my way? And one of the biggest moments, and I've, I've since talked to, to Jonathan about this too, is she made this comment at the very end of the day, you know, I'm not going to make a decision today, which in itself hurt, right? Because you're, you're thinking this is so absurd. She should just rule right there, you know, but I'm not going to make a decision today. And, and I want to make it, you know, something to the effect of, I want to make it clear that the only people that matter in this courtroom are the children. And, you know, it was a very pointed way of saying that, that just sort of, it made me feel like this is why women stay in abusive marriages because they're being sent this message that they don't matter. And I understand it's family right. court. I understand we're there to talk about custody but, you know, if you can see that really this has nothing to do with the child, then you can see what it's actually about, which is, you know, him trying to cause harm to me. So, yeah, there were a few moments where even though I felt right. good about it, I still wavered a little on whether I, I felt totally confident. I just thought until I've got those words in my hand, I can't I can't uh, feel that relief just yet. No, of course yeah. not. Of course not. And so how long was it before she did rule? Well, that was September 22 and we didn't get the decision until May 23 of this year. <laughs> oh my god. Yep. Oh my god. And so in the interim, yeah. Custody was right. the same. You were still sharing custody 50-50, yep. everything was status right. quo. And was he harassing you in any way? Was he abusing you? Were there any orders for you to stop your your behaviors or anything like that? No, I, honestly, I, I think it. I think he felt like he did his. He was doing his duty as a father, and it was going to play out how it was going to play out. But either way, he had done his duty. I think was kind of his. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I didn't. You know, even in the courtroom, I mean, you know, the judge asked him at one point, what what kind of arrangement do you want in terms of custody? Because he he had said, it's not that I want I don't want her to have visitation. So the, the judge said, well, what well, what do you what visitation do you think is appropriate then? And he just fumbled oh. over. I don't know. I want the court to decide. I want you know, I want the judge to tell me what's you know, it was just. It was just embarrassing for him. Um, so, yeah. So, so yeah, things continued as they were. I didn't hear much more about it from him. I, you know, in his, in his own mind, I think he thought he was doing some, I don't know. Yeah. Good. He thought he was protecting. I mean, right. He really did. And, you know, 
let's let's say give him the benefit of the doubt is that he is a victim of this conditioning mm. too, right? Like he really, he, he really did believe. Yeah. My guess is that he really did believe that you being on such sites and him being on such sites, such sites were completely different things. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, it was the idea that she was posting the content yeah. and that people could see it was totally different to him than being a user of that right. content which obviously tends to have a gender dynamic. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. 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 And so Jonathan, were those your arguments in court? Oh, we had so many arguments. Can you share what some of them were? Oh, sure. I'll pull up my, uh, my closing argument. I can read the whole thing, but it's long. Okay. Why don't you, can you hit bullet points? Yeah. So we're here on allegations. There's been a substantial change in circumstances. Uh, the court must determine if there's a substantial change in circumstances before even getting into best interests. There isn't a dispute about the basic facts. There's uh, no basis to believe the child has any awareness of her posts or about her sexual partners. Uh, and everything else about the disputed issues has to be viewed in that context. So then the claimed impacts of her posts and the implications to safety from them. Uh, she doesn't use her real name on these sites. She doesn't include her address or telephone number or email address. Viewers online can only see that she's located somewhere in Maryland, which is far less specific than people routinely are on social media. People don't have any way to contact her off of the website. Uh, and I said, there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Americans who post explicit images similarly without substantial implications for their private life. Then uh, there were uh, alleged safety implications. So I guess one thing that, that we didn't talk about specifically was there was a picture mm -hmm. that she had posted where just, just pretty much of her face, where she had her clothes on, uh, but it was on this website. She had a picture in which in the background, uh, you could see a tiny baby picture of the child. So, so again, this is, uh, mm. just imagine this is just a picture like, like you would see, uh, like a Facebook profile mm -hmm. picture, right, uh, right. just then mm -hmm. just a nice clothed picture, uh, and, you know, taken in the home and, you know, in the background, tiny, um, little baby picture just looks like a baby. Like you, you never even recognize the, right. the child. Like just, even come with it, come with a frame kind of right. like generic right. baby picture. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and mm -hmm. so it was barely even noticeable that there was a photo of a child. So then basically it's like, okay, so this gives someone who sees the picture an awareness that the person in the picture uh, probably does have a child in her home. Well, she happens to be a woman in her mid to late thirties and the odds that a woman in her mid to late 30s has a child living in her home are quite mm -hmm. high. Um, no further information is required. I think it's probably probably something like 80% of women in their mid to late 30s have a child in the home. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, most people do not try to conceal that they have children in their home, even when talking to strangers, as this is not considered particularly risky information to share. Claims of danger to the child. Uh, that photos were at one time posted on a site with sexually explicit images 
requires reliance on extreme illogical leaps. Even so, when it was pointed out to her that there was a tiny image of the child in the background on a picture, she was like, okay, I didn't notice that. I'll, and she uh, deleted it or it was mm. it was taken down. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think actually he reported mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And it was taken down for that reason. I mean, she would have taken yeah. it down. It's, it's no big deal. I mean, she certainly uh, never had any intention to expose the child in any way to anything related to this. Uh, definitely, mm-hmm. you know, because. Yeah, she's not using her child pornographically. Yeah. Right. And not only that, not even not even being like, oh, I'm a hot milf or something <laughs> like. I mean, like right, being a mother right. was not even part like, of the narrative. A factor in general. It wasn't. It wasn't a right. selling point. It wasn't part right. of her marketing. Right. <laughs> so he argued that, you know, it could cause harm to the child in the future, if she mm-hmm. learned that her mother had made explicit posts online. Yeah. Uh, and it's true. At some point in the future, it's possible that the child could learn that her mother posted explicit material on adult websites. And it's plausible that someday learning such information could be embarrassing or confusing to the child. But embarrassment of parental choices is a reality of growing up, completely hypothetical at this point. Uh, Good parents expect to need to answer difficult questions about the choices they have made in all different contexts. Uh, And I said, certainly he will have to answer for some of his choices as well. (laughs) Yeah. That part. Right. That part. He will have to... uh, answer for how he found right. that her mother was right. just what he put her, mm-hmm. her right. mother through yeah yeah exactly uh-huh. even if the court gave substantial weight to such speculation there's no logic to the argument that the posts affect the minor child's interests meaning her interests regarding whose custody she should be in because mm-hmm. of the risk mm-hmm. of possible future embarrassment he wasn't saying don't ever see <laughs> i don't want her to ever see her mother again Right. She's right. She's always going to be the mother. And it would be equally embarrassing whether she has the 50 percent custody that she has or if she had only every other weekend, which (laughs) would be sort of the extreme to which he was potentially asking Mm -hmm. for. Again, there's no logic there. Then the allegations of harm coming from her encounters with sexual partners rather than that those encounters are were posted online, Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. that she'd had sexual partners since the separation. It's to be expected. And, uh, you know, it's undisputed that the minor child had not met any of the partners. And there's no evidence that they've impacted the child in any way. There's no basis for assuming that she has not used at least as much discretion as an average parent in deciding who to allow into her home. In fact, she identifies her partners soberly and with advanced planning which in this context is far favorable to the many parents who might pick up someone at a bar and invite them back to their place without fear that they will be dragged to court by their Mm -hmm. Mm co-parent. This hypocrisy issue, the question of judging men who are on that website and who are the men who are on this website? They are people from all walks of life with diverse backgrounds, professions, and interests. And they are people we interact with regularly in the world by his own admission. He is such a man. He acknowledges being a user of the same site and that browsing it was how he learned that his wife was posting. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Uh, beautiful. Th- there's more. Uh, but if, if that's if that's that gives you a flavor, that's about a That's about a third of it. 
Yeah, I don't understand how the judge wasn't like, yeah, let me rule on this right. right now. So, okay, so let's just sort of, um, you know, wrap this up. So in May, you received the mm-hmm. judgment, which was, can you tell me what she said? Uh, did, do you have it? I don't have or it. I mean, I, I can I can paraphrase it? and summarize. I have it. it. I I have it in front of me. There's a paragraph where the that ends with that line. This is the epitome of control. I wonder, Jonathan, if you could maybe just read that one small paragraph. Sure. This gets to the heart of it. And so this is this was written by a magistrate judge. And so she referred to herself as the magistrate. Okay. And she wrote. This magistrate finds that this case comes down to father not liking or wanting mother to participate on adult websites and in her chosen sexual activities. This magistrate finds that as much as father believes he is not trying to control mother's sex life and sexual activities, father is in fact doing so under the guise of safety concerns for minor child. This magistrate suspects that father's goal with these modification proceedings were to humiliate and embarrass mother in hopes that she would stop participating on the websites due to fear of losing custody of minor child or being embarrassed in court or professionally. This is the epitome of control. Incredibly validating. So essentially, she said no Mm -hmm. dice to him. And it sounds like she included some reprimands. I mean, that was certainly a reprimand. Were there more reprimands in this as well? The intensity of of that language of that paragraph. Yeah. Quite unusual in these. I mean, yes. these are generally pretty dry legal documents. Rarely do you find any passion coming mm. through yes. uh, from a judge right. in writing right. this. And that it's obvious. Did this set a pre- this set precedent? So, that's a good question. Uh so one of the problems with state courts in general, and with really to a large degree with trial courts, uh, is that there's rarely distribution or access uh, to a case. Uh, It's generally, when we talk about precedents, normally we're referring to cases that went on appeal Mm -hmm. and, uh, Mm -hmm. and were heard by a judge on appeal. So it's only if a case had been heard on appeal that it would be binding mm. on the judges in in that state in the trial court. I see. I see. But okay. trial court opinions to the extent that you can find them mm. can absolutely be used and introduced and referred to in any court to just say look here's here's a judge who was presented with similar issues and this is how they handled it. And that doesn't mean that that you're obligated to follow, but you know this is a, this is a smart lawyer who handles all these things as a judge year in year out, and this is what they decided. You should give this a consideration as well. So we we would call that a persuasive authority. Okay, and when you say any court, are you saying like across the nation? Like this would not have to be in Maryland. Like if if I had a client in California who was up against something similar, would citing this case be useful? It certainly could be. It would be worth trying. The vast majority of family law cases have their trial court opinion issued and then it vanishes into the ether. And unless you are the parties 
or you are the lawyers, you're never going to mm-hmm. see it. Knowing that this case exists, yeah. You know, if someone, uh, if we don't arrange another way, someone can contact me, and uh, I think we'll have a a redacted version of this mm-hmm. opinion uh, okay. that is suitable for sharing, and we could provide it with any court anywhere in the world. And it's and it's up to that judge to consider the extent to which they think it's relevant or persuasive uh, in their mm-hmm. own court and under their own laws. I think that's great. So Elle and Jonathan and I will convene and, and figure out if there's a way that we can um, maybe, you know, put a redacted copy up in, in Dropbox or something and create a link for everybody, because I think that would be really, uh, it would be really useful. I mean, I think that this is a huge, huge step for women in uh, and women's sexual liberation in uh, yeah. divorce, which is why I wanted you to come and tell this yeah. story. Um, Ella, is there anything else that you want to add before we? I mean, just no, I just I just want to, you know, again, yeah, I mean, I think when I read the decision, there was this, this urge to just want to shout it from the rooftops, right? Because I really felt like it wasn't just my victory. It was such a victory for, for women everywhere. And having been a part of your group for so long and and the support that that community offered me during my divorce and and after and continues to this day i just felt like that was the right place to share it and talk about it and so i just you know again thank you so much kate uh, you know i think that this was just the perfect forum to talk about it i just i'm so grateful i'm so grateful that you uh, wanted to share this story because i think it's it's really important it's really important. And I'm so proud of the fact that I remember when you shared it, I was, I was sort of like biting my nails. Cause of course, you know, the internet can be a, such a horrible place and the support that you got on your post. And this is back mm-hmm. in May was just like, so positive. it was so yeah. beautiful. It was, it was great. Fun. It was so yeah, positive. It was wonderful. Yeah, it was Jonathan, where can people find you if needed slash wanted? Absolutely. So uh, my name is Jonathan D lane. And my law firm is J.D. Lane Law. And so you can find my website at J.D. as in David, L-A-N-E-L-A-W dot com. Awesome. Jonathan L., thank you so, so much for coming on and sharing this story. I think it's it's so important. I'm so excited and thrilled that this went the, the way that it did for you. Thank you so much, Kate. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at the Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.